This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. You know, we are continuing this teaching on the purpose of the family. Um, and I'm going to do kind of a quick review today. I'm not going to go through all of the, you know, the work, the manifestation of the flesh like I've been doing because I'm trying to get to a point. So I'm just going to admonish you, you know, if you haven't been connecting the knowledge, go back to the beginning of when we started on the purpose of family with, uh, with just the purpose that Minister Martin did. And then uh, Minister Stinson got on the, the purpose to reflect the image of God. Make sure you go through all those things and refresh yourself. I was just talking to uh, Sister Castillo and Brother Everhart, and they were like, you know, the podcast is out there, not even not just for those who miss the service, but even the ones that come. You got to go and get it inside you, right? So make sure you listen to all those messages and get it down in you. So that's the only way the change is going to come to you. You know, you got to put forth the effort. So again, we're talking about the purpose of the family or the intended position of the family. And we've learned over the past few weeks that the call of the family is to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who, in turn, get God's redemptive work done in the earth. We said in the family, the husband and the wife must make God's purpose their business, their ministry, and they have to chase after it diligently. By doing so, them and their children have to be fruitful. But in order to be fruitful, you have to have God's purpose on your mind. So I said we need to get a clear understanding of what the purpose is for the family. And again, my portion of this is to subdue and have dominion so that we can operate as God's representatives on this earth. And we went to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, and I just have to read it again just just to get re-familiarized with it. And God said, verse 26, and this is one, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And we had to stop there, and I have to stop there again, because it says, Let us make man. And we noted there that God is talking about, it's talking about the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They all had something to do in the process of making man. And it was God the Father who sent the Son from the foundation of the world. And the Son who came and gave his life created the church and the spirit who now fills the believers with the ways of her husband, which is Jesus. And then we went on to to verses 27 to 28, and it says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and have dominion over the... And, I'm sorry, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So we saw that it was God's intention for mankind to have dominion over the rest of his earthly creation, to bring everything into the harmony of his will and his purpose. And we saw from these scriptures that man was created in the image of God. He has a, he's a unique creature because there's not any other creature on this earth that has the image of God like that. And we... We know that in the image of God, we know that it's not how you look. It's the character of God. It's the judgment of God. And we're the only ones that have been created with that. Everything else are earthly, fleshly creatures. And God has given us the command to subdue and have dominion over them. And so we went back and we went over the definition of subdue, which meant to bring in subjection, to keep under control and make subservient, uh, to take control of a hostile country. And we also looked at dominion. We said it was a royal term, of a, a rule of a king, mastery, to have lordship over. And so we came to the point where we said, well, in order for us to subdue and have dominion over the fleshly creatures of this earth, God said, well, we have to first start with ourselves. Because we are his little, you know, the worlds that he created. We are little worlds created. And... Our flesh, though it doesn't speak with God, we have a spirit that communicates with God. And that spirit is to subdue our flesh. 
to have dominion over that hostile nation and bring it into the, the perfect harmony of God's will and his purpose so that we can be his representatives. And so our command is clear. We have to subdue and have dominion over the flesh. And we saw that Adam began to do this, but he had to have a help meet. And we went to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read all of that, but we went to Genesis chapter 2, and we saw that it was too much for Adam to do alone, and he needed a helper. And so God created woman to complete what Adam was lacking. And, Ad, and what Eve was lacking, Adam completed in her, and thus the family was created. And we saw that in order to get his purpose done, they couldn't do it without each other. They needed each other. This was God's plan. Understand this again. Man needed woman to fulfill God's order and purpose. Woman needed man. We need the family to get God's plan done. And so we discussed that the family alone has to impart some of these godly qualities or characteristics to, the, to enable individuals to rise to their full potential, to be able to subdue and have dominion, not only over themselves but over the earthly creatures and, and have dominion as well. We said, so the family is to teach the practical knowledge of God and how to apply his word in your everyday life. And we said, the world can't do this. You should not expect them to do this. The only thing they know is money, power, respect, and everything else in between. So let's go ahead and go over to Galatians because we're going to get to where I want to get to early here today. Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read the answer to the flow of this world that God gives us. And I'm going to start at verse 22. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, they have, you know the, the world's flow is money, power, respect, and everything between. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ... I'm sorry, let me go ahead and stop there. Now, we saw that only by possessing those qualities is one fit to rule and have dominion. And we said that these things are best learned within the structure of the family. But we also came to the conclusion that so many of these characteristics are missing from our homes today. And we have to figure out what, you know, what's going on. Why are these characteristics? Cause, and, and the end all be all of it is we don't have God's love in our homes. Well, we have what we think is God's love. What man calls love. But it's the absence of God's love because the proof is in the pudding, right? We're looking at the outcome. We're looking at the result. And the end result of God's perfect love is not what we're seeing in the world today. And this is why society as a whole is suffering. So let's go to, we're still in Galatians 5. I'm going to go back to verse 16. And I want to show, what we've been doing is going through basically the, manif- the, the lust of the flesh. And we're showing the characteristics that have been taught in our homes that are causing these other things to show forth instead of God's love. But don't get discouraged. Because there is an answer to this. Like I said, it's God's love. But we're going to go through these things so that we can make sure we can identify them in our homes. Because some of these things are really, really subtle. And they pop up and you let these things go on and go on. And next thing you know, you see something that has manifested, manifested itself in your life or your children's life later on. And you're like, well, how did that, how did that even happen? How did that start? So it's, it's crucial that we understand these things. So, when we, so we can keep them from manifest, manifesting. So let me read... Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to start at verse 16. And it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. 
And I, like I said before, I love that word manifest because that means there's some characteristics or some things that'll come up that'll manifest these works of the flesh. So we got to pinpoint those things. The works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery and fornication. And again, like I said, get on your podcast. We're not going to review all these things today. Get on your podcast. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, and wrath. Now, I'm going to stop at wrath, and I will do a little bit of review on that because that's where I ended off last time. Um, so I'm going to start on wrath here real quick. One second. And so we said that wrath, the Greek word for wrath is thumos. T-H-U-M-O-S. And we said throughout the New Testament it's used to depict a person who's literally boiling with anger about something. You know, they, they try to restrain the anger and they try to shove it down inside of them and, they, and it gets deeper into their soul until it boils inside of them. Begins to boil over them. And I said, it's like, it's like, and I gave an analogy of like a tornado. I said, when, when it suddenly hits, you know, when you let that, when you push it back down inside you, you let it boil over and that tornado suddenly hits, everything's devastated. Everything in its area gets hurt. Because it starts, you think of a tornado, like I said last time, it starts hurling debris around. Hurling, hurling cars around, houses around, people around. That's what happens when wrath, when it boils over, things just start just to explode. And everybody around you is affected. That's the product of wrath. But again, I said, it has to boil up inside you. What, what happens is you keep pushing it down inside you. So I had to think about it. And I said, so what does that mean you keep pushing it down? You don't want to deal with a certain issue. And God said, well, it's a simple word. It's procrastination. And we came to that, we came to that point, the procrastination is the gateway to wrath. So I gave us all a definition of, or my working definition of procrastination that I've been using for years. And I said, procrastination is the art or strategy of planned self-hindrance. Hindering yourself. Because you know what you got to do, but you keep putting it off. Hindering what God has for you. What God has... Hindering yourself from getting into the redemptive plan of God. So we said that procrastination is the gateway to wrath. And I do want to mention this again. The way to beat it is preparation and discipline. If you don't know what preparation and discipline is, and it's, I'm not talking about going to your, your Webster dictionary and say, well, this is what preparation is, and this is what... No, you have to study it out. You have to understand what it is. If you want to combat wrath, if you want to combat procrastination, you really have to get into preparation and discipline, because otherwise you're going to keep pushing stuff off, keep putting it down inside you, and next thing you know it's going to boil over. And everybody around you is going to feel it. And so I said, what is wrath? I said, it's the route of the flesh to delay issues and then to erupt in madness. And that's so funny. Because when you erupt in madness, you think, you think that person who, who I've been pushing this down on, they're going to feel me. But you're never thinking how you're going to feel afterwards. How this person who's living with this person is going to feel. How You never think about the results for everybody else. It's always about you. And it's funny, you know, studying these, the works of the flesh, there's one thing that comes up in all of them. And it's a selfishness in every single one of them. Always about me and what I have and what I want. And then we, we said that, you know what, it doesn't have to be anger. Because wrath is, is, is pushing something back. So if you have a substance abuse problem and you push that off, 
Well, the wrath of that in your life is now I'm a, I'm a drug addict. If you, have a, if you start with the pornography problem, like I said, and you never deal with it, later on in life you have sex problems. You have sexual addiction problems. That's the wrath of it. Then you have to deal with it and everything that comes along with it. Because you, you keep putting off dealing with it. So, just, just understand this. You have to deal with these issues as they come up. You have to be diligent. When you see procrastination in yourself or your children, deal with it. Don't you put it off or you're going to feel the wrath. There's people today feeling the wrath of their children in their lives. Wrath of their decisions. Wrath of putting things off. Deal with it right then. Otherwise you'll be unfit. Cannot subdue. Cannot have dominion over yourself and let alone the rest of God's earthly creation. Being his representative. So others can see Christ. So now we're going to get into some new information and I think we're making great time. And we said, now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these and I'm unto strife. Strife was interesting to me. So this word strife, it comes from the Greek word erethia. That's E-R-I-T-H-E-I-A. And again, I don't want y'all to get caught up on, oh, he's using Greek words. You have to use it on certain things like this because certain, these words are used all over the Bible. And you want to get what he's talking about right here. These words are used also. The Greek word for this is erethia. And it's very similar to the word eris. Y'all remember eris from last week, which was the Greek word for variance. Very similar to that word. Now, the word erethia, or strife, it describes a self-seeking type of ambition. I told you all of these things have that selfishness in them. It's a self-seeking ambition that's mostly concerned with me, myself, and I. It defines one that's primarily concerned with meeting their own wants, their own desires, their own pleasures. Now, when strife is at work in someone's life, it means that I am my principal concern. I'm not worried about, it's me first, then we can worry about the other stuff. You know, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. No, it's, I'm seeking me and what I want first. And then we'll see what else comes on. That's what strife is. That's the, that's the principal thing with strife. And, you know, strife, it focuses specifically on people who love power. Love prestige. Very high-minded view of themselves. Real cocky. See, a person is driven by, by strife is so focused on self that they'll do and say and sacrifice anything just to meet their own goals. Including standards, rules, regulations, families, relationships, anything just to achieve their own goals. It's a selfish, self-focused type of attitude that's, that's captivated with its own ambitions. A person so consumed with themselves that they're blinded to the needs and desires or ambitions of anybody else. So if you're striping your own home, in your own home and you have children, then they're on the back burner. And let me help some of you parents out, right? You know, when you, when you have children, just let your, let your desires that you were trying to do before you had them, let them go. It's time out for that because you made another decision. See, that, that, this goes back to the wrath, right? Procrastination and planning your life. Now you have your children there, so let your other dreams go. 
Let them go because they should be your dream now. But the thing about strife is when it's de- developed in the heart of a person, that person is destined to hurt somebody. Because remember, they're, they're willing to do and sacrifice anything. They're destined to hurt somebody. As a matter of fact, they're setting out to hurt somebody. This, this person, they'll always make, they'll make a situation about them all the time. If somebody comes up and says something, you know, just, just you know, somebody say something like, you know what, I'm going on, and I see this a lot in, in my job. I see, cause I, I, and I know the strike now, right? Somebody will come and say, you know what, I, and this is the actual story. I, I took a trip to, I forget what place she said, and then this one girl, she always comes in and says, oh, hey, I've been there. Oh, but when I went, you should have did this, because I did this, 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 and that, 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 and this. Let me tell you about it. Next time you go, maybe you'll do it, you know. Those type of things. This is, that... But it seems so subtle. It seems like they're just trying to be nice and tell you, right? No, that's strife. Because you always have something to say. You never can rejoice with nobody else. Because you have your own agenda. They don't like to hear about anyone or anything else that anybody can perceive as better than them. So, a clear characteristic of strife, and you can write this down, is conceit. Conceitedness, vanity, excessive pride, narcissism, <laughs> egocentric. Like I said, it's an uncontrolled self-ambition. Because there's nothing wrong with self-ambition, but it's, it's that uncontrolled self-ambition. There's nothing, I want you all to hear me. There's nothing wrong with having ambition. But it's an uncontrolled self-ambition. You're willing to sacrifice any and everything for that ambition. So if you hear yourself, you know, talking nonstop about your projects and what you have going on, your dreams, your aspirations, but you never stop to inquire about anybody else's, you never stop to remember that really my, my purpose is God's plan. If your focus is only about you and your dreams and aspirations, you need to check yourself. You need to get into the presence of God. There's some healing needed. Before there's some cycles that are perpetuated. Because all the while you're doing this strife, especially if you have children, even if you don't have children, because I want you to know this, everybody here, you're a teacher, whether you want to be or not. Because you're teaching something and somebody's learning something. Ask yourself this question. Do the, do the people in your life, do like, they know all about you, but you don't know much about them? When you go up and talk to somebody, is it always about what you got going on? And, you know, and then they have to say, oh, hey, by the way, I'm doing good too. Let me tell you about what's going on. See, these are just the little things that you need to check. Because you're like, oh, no, that's not a big deal. These are the little things that you need to check. This is how you can see, oh, this, it has been all about me for a lot lot of the time. Check your attitude towards people. Are you mindful of others? Or is it all about you and your ambition and and what what you got going? Do you always think about ways that they can be a blessing to you? Do you always, do you ever think about how you can be a blessing to others? Are you always upset like, man, they don't ever do that for me? 
Okay, that's that's fine. But what have you done to be a blessing to anybody? See, because the heart of strife will always point out what somebody hasn't done for them. But Christ has done everything for you. So let me point that out to you. But a heart of strife, it'll point out what, oh, they've never done this for me. Never done that for me. Always looking to blame somebody else for their position in life. It's a heart of strife. When it comes to sacrifice to things for the things of God, do you go out of your way to participate in sacrifice? Or is there a murmur and complaining going on? Because it's interfering with what you got going on. And murmuring and complaining may be too much because that, that insinuates that you still might be doing it. So, for example, like at the church, we have certain things going on and, you know, we ask the body to come together monetarily. Do you remember complaining and say, you know, we should do something different with those funds? So what should we do different? Oh, well, we should do this, this, and that. Wait a minute. I just asked because I wanted to see if you had an agenda. And you do. And like I said, if you just do a murmur complaining and still doing it, you know, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, right? So you can go through the motions all you want. Because, you know, strife will go through the motions to please man's sight. Strife will do that. But it's not doing nothing for you or your walk with God. See, the thing about people, what they'll do, is they'll use what they say, like a good cause. They'll say, you know, you know, let's not use the money for the rugs in the church. I think we can do this here. We can do this there. That'll be beneficial to these people. They'll use what they say and act like for a good cause to cover up their strife. Try to sneak it in for you to accept it. All the while, there's a total other agenda going on. Because here's the thing, these other things that you're suggesting they never come up until something else comes up that somebody else suggests. But that's outside of your agenda, right? So let's explore conceit. Let's see the product of conceit in somebody's, somebody's life. Let's see how uncontrolled self-ambition will end up. Because, you know, you think of the word strife or conceit and one thinks, oh, I can see that a mile away. Think so? It's easy to spot, right? Because in my mind, you, think, you know, certain people think, well, if they have strife in them, they've got to be unpleasant. They've got to be harsh. They're easy to dislike because they're full of strife. We'll see. So we're going to look at an example of selfish ambition. Let's turn to 2 Samuel. And we're going to go to chapter 15. And I'm going to start at verse 1. And I'm going to, I'm telling you this, we're reading about Absalom here. This is David's son. And I'm going to tell you right from the bat, 
this guy was full of strife. Full of conceit, too. But let's, let's just see how it looks. So I'm going to start at verse 1. And it came to pass after this, that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses, and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early, and stood beside the way of the gate, and it was so. That when, sorry, <clears throat> that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so, that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. Now, <laughs> I want you to listen to this with your spiritual ear, okay? You can apply these characteristics that we're about to go through to your home, to your church, your jobs, your work life. Just listen with your spiritual ear. Because all of these areas, they're affected by strife and conceit. So, in this scripture, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a certain, a certain point. And then I'm going to tell you how this translates here, uh, translates into, into today and our characteristics. So in this passage of scripture, and I'm going to read a little more here in a little bit, but in this, this passage of scripture, Absalom appears to be much concerned about others. Very much so concerned. Now, I'm going to tell you, because as I was going through these things, God said, this is how he appears. Now I want to show you how it really looks. Okay? So he, he appears much concerned about others, but... The characteristics are, he plays on the compassion of people to block their discernment. And I'm going to tell you how this shows up in somebody else's life. You always play the victim. Always the victim. I can say this because me and my brother used to do this all the time. When we were in, when we were in school, if something went wrong with our teacher, it was, it's because I'm black. My teacher doesn't like me. Playing the victim. Playing on somebody's compassion. Trying to, try to, try to confuse their discernment. Appearing to have much concern though. Because just that issue when I, when I was young trying to say that to my parents. I'm like, oh, a racial issue is serious. So let me play on their compassion. Another thing, Absalom is certain that he's a better choice. Choose my way and I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. He's certain of it. And so God said, well, let me tell you about people like this. People that are certain they're the better choice, they make real quick commitments, real quick promises. Like they can get it done. They'll do things like they'll wait and listen to somebody else's recommendation and then act like it's theirs. Because you're the better choice, right? But if you listen to what Absalom was saying, you're like, yeah, you do need somebody there at the kingdom that I can call out. You do need, that. You need somebody deputy to do this and that. 
he certainly is the better choice. Making commitments and promises like he did real quick. I'll be this. I'll be that for you. Like a good politician, Absalom skillfully publicizes his agenda, which is meant to improve the lot of the people. Because he, he was calling it out. So I want you to understand this. He's calling it out, right? Not only the person that was there can hear him, but there's other people around that can hear him. He's getting his own agenda out there. Like I said, skillfully publicizing. And so, he's, so what God told me was, so this skillfully publicizing, what we do today, what people will do is they'll isolate people against each other individually. Skillfully. Strategically behind closed doors. Let me come talk to you at your house real quick. Let me tell you what I think should be going on. And then let's pray about it together. But let me tell you something. If you're going against the body that God is, the, the local church that God has placed you in, it's strife. You have an owner. See, yeah, you can, you can hide it, but God, let's pray about it together. Because let me tell you, I don't think, I'm going to stay right there on those funds. I don't think we should use the money for these. We should be giving to the poor. That sounds like a good, that sounds like a good, a good reason to give that money, right? We don't need to beautify a sanctuary anymore. But wait, listen, you really want to give to the poor? You can give to the poor. You don't have to have everybody in here to do that. But let me skillfully, let me pull you over here by yourself. And let me, let me pitch you against somebody else. So that you can stop trying to, because whatever they're saying, I don't like it. And it's going against my agenda. So let me pull you off by yourself. Absalom is very effective at manipulating people's emotions. And God said, well, this is just someone who's not accountable to anybody usually blames other people because they can do no wrong. Not me. I can't do, can't do no wrong. Oftentimes, this person will flat out falsely accuse somebody else. But, see, they're doing this in that skillfully... Pu- they'll pull you aside and fat, flat out accuse somebody else by yourself. Because they have another agenda. If it's really, if you really feel that fervent about it, do it out in the open in front of everybody. But you can't because you have another agenda. Those, those selfish, uncontrolled ambitions. Absalom is very charismatic. <laughs> and God said, well, let me tell you about charisma, charismatic. This is usually a person who's over the top to gain acceptance. Always wants the extra attention. All eyes on me, please. They want their own huge following. (laughs) You know, like on your social media. You want that huge following. But how many are going to follow Christ? So see, I want to I want to tap his like. That's who I want to follow. But when you have your own agenda, you're looking for that big following. And so you'll be over the top to do whatever, to do whatever you can to get your agenda across. 
and sacrifice whatever it costs, including your family, to get your agenda across. Charismatic person. So let me read verse 6 here. And it says, I'm sorry, wrong chapter. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the people. See, many, many people, many believers, many politicians today, they use these tools and tactics that Absalom did very effectively. And, you know, they seem warm and concerned with people and what they have going on. And really, it's all conceit. It's conceitedness. It's not the real thing. They're wolves in sheep's clothing with selfish ambitions. See, in a family, in a church, or workplace, or a government full of these characteristics, you'll see constant destructive criticism. Like I said earlier, it's, no, that's, because it's going against your agenda. So it'll be destructive criticism. Especially if it doesn't line up with your agenda and your ambition, it'll be destructive criticism. There'll be nitpicking over anything that's said or done against your criticism. And people are like, what are you talking about? Because they don't know your agenda, but you'll be nitpicking. No, I don't, we, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do this, this and that. Because it doesn't line up with your agenda. With your selfish ambitions. And the thing about it is, you know, if the efforts to deal with these selfish issues, it usually ends in division. That's the thing about it. Because, since I'm talking about the church setting, in the, in the church setting, some will support the ones with their own selfish ambitions. Some will be against them. Some people will stick their heads in the sand and act like, I don't know what's going on. Some people act like there's no problem at all. But let me tell you what strife does with this division. What you're going to see. Because like I said, listen to it with the spiritual ears. Apply, I'm talking about the church, but apply it to your jobs. Apply it to your homes. Let me tell you what you'll see. You will see all night fights. All day. All week, all month, all year. In your homes, there'll be police involved. There'll be charges. There'll be counter charges. This is all from this is all from strife. All from your conceitedness. There'll be childish behavior, uncontrolled outbursts of rage. Because your agenda needs to be met at no matter the cost. Let's call the laws, right? No matter the cost. There's going to be backbiting. There's going to be bitterness. See, this is why we have broken homes today. Since we're going to put it into our homes now, that's why you have homes saying, you know, they have multiple children. One child saying, well, I want to go with mama. The other child saying, I want to go with daddy. The parents talking about, well, yeah, I want them, but really they don't want them because they have their own agenda and it will affect them. This is why we have wars. Fights within our own government. This is why people leave churches and take groups of people with them. 
Because there's no price too high for your selfish ambition. Not even the price of your family. So let's see how this selfish ambition ended for Absalom. Let's go over to chapter 18. And I'm going to read verse 9 through 17. And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode upon a mule. And the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak. And his head caught hold of the oak. And he was taken up between the, the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Let me, let me, let me admonish you guys, too, just so you can see this whole process. Read all, of, all those chapters from where I started all the way up through here. Read all of it so you can see this whole process. Verse 10. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man, Joab said unto the man that told him, and behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? See, y'all, y'all need to understand. Well, go back and read it to see how we got to that point. Go back and read it. Smite him there to the ground. And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. Look, he got people that smite him to the ground, and I would have, gave, I would have, I would have paid you to do that. I'm a, no, but this is strife. This is conceitedness. See, there's a progression that got him to this point. Remember what we said back in the other chapter. He was, oh, he was Mr. Presidential. I'll do, I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. But he had a different agenda. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hands, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee in Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life, for there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself wouldest have set thyself against me. Then Joab, then said Joab, I may, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand, and thrust him through the heart of Absalom, while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. So... All these people he was so much for. He, there's a group of people killing him. Because he had a different agenda. And Joab blew the trumpet. And the people returned from pursuing after Israel. For Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a great, a great pit in the wood. And laid a very heap of stones upon him. And all Israel, Israel, everyone, fled everyone, one to his tent. See, the, these, these are the fruits of strife. There's no peace. There's not unity. There's not harmony or purpose. But there's tension. There's division. There's turmoil. There's contentiousness. Variance. Self-ambition. And inevitably... If you continue on in that, something's going to die in your life. Just like with Absalom, he, he, he himself died. And you saw how many people were against him. Something will die in your life, something will die in the life of your family. And all it will do is leave you and your family unfit. Unable to subdue. Unable to have dominion. Let's go back to Galatians 
And I am not going to finish today. I thought I was. But we had to spend time on strife. We had to spend time on it. So, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And now we are down to seditions. Seditions is interesting to me too. Now this is the Greek word dikostasia, which is the compound of the words dika, it's D-I-C-H-A, and stasis, S-T-A-S-I-S. Now, that first part of it, dika, D-I-C-H-A, means apart, as in separation. And that second part, stasis, means to stand or to rebel. Put it together, it means to stand apart, as one who rebels or steps away from someone who they have been loyal to. It's a rebel. <laughs> so the word sedition gives an impression of disloyalty. So I was searching the scriptures, and that Greek word status, or I'm sorry, yeah, stasis, I'm sorry, S T A S I S, it's used in Matthew, it's used in Mark, it's used in Luke, and when I found it, it was to describe the insurrection that Barabbas led in the city of Jerusalem. His rebellious deeds had deemed him a terrible person, you know, a notorious criminal in all the mind of the Romans. He led an insurrection or a sedition, and Barabbas defied the powers, he rejected their authority, he had stepped away from their rule, and he also took other rebels with him as he went on his way. So at the heart of seditions is disloyalty, defiance, and rebellion. And here's the thing. It's important for you to know this. Your flesh hates rules. It hates regulations. It hates order. Your flesh hates it. It hates the order of God for sure. This is why you have children that will rebel against their parents. Husband and wives that rebel against each other. Church members that rebel against their pastors. People in general that rebel against God. Because all of that is rebellion against God. If you think about it, you know, defiance and rebellion to authority, it's the source of pretty much almost all the wars, wars and conflicts in this world. And in your life. About 99% of the world's conflicts are due to flesh that refuses to be told what to do. So it rises up to defy the authority. Because it doesn't want to accept its rules, its regulations, its order. This is even why you can see your little precious little angels throw a temper tantrum. Throw stuff around the room. Because they're wrapped up in flesh. They, they, don't, they don't like order. The flesh simply does not want to be told what to do. It wants freedom. <laughs> For those that were here Friday. It wants this world-made world freedom. So 
So when you find your flesh rising up in anger because of your boss, your parents, your pastor, because you don't like the, the authority in your life, you gotta you gotta settle down your flesh. You gotta mortify. You gotta subdue those members. Don't give in to your carnal desires and step away from authority like Barabbas did. Your loyalty and your faithfulness is crucial. It's important. Because your, your disloyalty, it's hurtful. To you and others. Because you see, Barabbas brought people with him. Children. Stick close to whom God has given you as parents. Be loyal to him. Obedience. Parents, stick close to those that are called your leaders. Be faithful. Listen, endure. All right, we can't say that enough, right? That's a crucial part of the believer's life. Deal with it. You'll be okay. I've got to read a couple scriptures here on that. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to read 17 through 25. And it says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There is no respect of persons." So, uh, this is just undergirding what I said. Be faithful to those that are in said authority of you. Children, obey your parents. Husband and wife, submit to each other. Uh, at your job, too, is that dealt with that as well? Work is unto the Lord. Otherwise, you will be left unfit. And I'm going to try to touch on one more, and I'm going to have to be through for the day. So the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, and I'm going to go into heresies. Let me get back to Galatians. Heresies. Now this comes from the Greek, the Greek word heresies. It's pretty similar. It's spelled H-A-I-R-E-S-I-S. And it is a personal group of people that adhere to doctrine that is at odds with the truth. No matter the cost. This person or a group of people believe or conduct themselves as if they're exclusive. They give an impression that they're better or more enlightened than other people. Like the Spirit speaks to them and them alone. Turn to Second Peter real quick. Second Peter, and I'm going to go to chapter 1. 
and I'm going to read verse 19 until chapter 2, verse 3. And it says, oh, I'm sorry, did I say, I said second, I'm in First Peter, let me get to Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto unto you, Unto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Listen, you're not more enlightened than anybody, okay? It's nothing special this guy telling you that he won't tell all of his people. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. I want you to understand this about heresies, especially from that passage of scripture. Heresy is not the same as error. It's not the same. Heresy is the choice to abandon sound doctrine and embrace your own view. It's to, to preach your own gospel. And your gospel, God just said, is damnable and brings destruction. It denies the Lord which brought you. Which bought you. It, I didn't say that. That's, that's what the Bible says. That's what the text says. So let's give an example of that, right? Of the heresies of today. I'm going to use the prosperity message, right? So people will preach that Jesus died on the cross so that you can have earthly prosperity. So that you can name and claim and decree and declare your financial prosperity because of the work of Christ. Well, Brother Isaac, I don't believe that. Well, you say you don't. But we said it time and time again, your actions speak your heart. Not your words. It's your actions that speak your heart. So, what heart have you been speaking in your home? Do you show that I'm right with Christ and you can confirm this by my nice house? You can confirm this by my car? You can confirm this by my big bank account? Do you teach your children that the good grades show that they're right with God? Oh, that's a good one. Come on. Now people, I've heard many people say these exact words. They're a good Christian. They make good grades. Why do you put those two together? Because I know non-believers that make excellent grades. As if making good grades can get you into heaven. Let me help you out. God is not looking at your children's report cards. He's not looking at your bank account as payment for your salvation or for your sin. 
Couldn't you just see somebody in heaven? Somebody, here's my report card, though. That's heresy. Oh, but that's being taught. Because people believe, oh, listen, I got a good job. I must be walking with God. Everything's going right in my life. I must be walking with God. Listen, to teach that is heresy. And your children will grow up and teach the same thing. They may not say it, but what we just said, your actions speak your heart. Not what you say. That's heresy. Let's just face it, right? Because we're talking about, you know, my, my car, my grades are good, I got this money. Let's just face it. Your flesh just likes to be puffed up. We're back to your flesh. Oh, these are the manifestations of the flesh. The works of the flesh. It likes being prideful, boastful. It enjoys thinking too highly of oneself. That's back into strife. It takes pleasure in caring for its own selfish interest. That's what your flesh does. This is why we have to subdue it and mortify those members. I hope you all understand it because we're talking about the flesh, but I want you to understand, get an understanding of what the flesh does and why we have to mortify it. Why we have to subdue it. Because we're going out into this earth and if it's not subdued, be not deceived. God is not mocked. That what you sow. It'll leave you unfit to subdue. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.